To read Back to Reality, the best-selling novel of the bestseller experiment by the two marks, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash back to reality. And subscribe to this podcast to get loads of extra bonuses. Go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash subscribe. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to The Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a best-selling novel and inspire you to finish your book. I'm Mark Stay. Mr. DeVoe is on a secret mission this week, uh, but this is one of our latest in our one-page punch-up specials. And before we jump in, I want to give a big thank you to our sponsor, Pro Writing Aid, the official editing software of The Bestseller Experiment. Pro Writing Aid is so much more than a grammar checker. It's a style editor, writing mentor, all in one package. And what's more... It integrates with Scrivener, Word, Google Docs, Chrome, Safari, Firefox, OpenOffice, and Outlook. It's designed for the smarter writer, which is all of you groovy cats. And as a listener of the Best Sell Experiment, you can get a whopping 20% off right now. 20% get your discount today. Go to prowritingaid.com forward slash bestseller. That is prowritingaid.com forward slash bestseller. And as a little bonus for those selected for our one-page punch-up specials, I've run your one page through ProWritingAid and it does a wonderful little report telling you of like things like repeated words and star reports and stuff like that. So I'm going to ping that over to you folks after this episode has been recorded as well. Now, what is a one-page punch-up. Well, we put out word to our chart-topper patrons. Send us one page from your work in progress and we'll give it to a top editor and they will critique it on the show and we will all learn something and get inspired. And you folks can read along as well. We're going to have PDFs in the show notes that you can download of each one of these chapters. So read along, have a look. We had another massive barrage of entries thanks to everyone who sent us more than ever. And there was a lot of science fiction and fantasy, which I'm going to hold over till maybe next time because our, our guest editor today isn't really a science fiction fantasy editor. Uh, and thank you to everyone who sent their one page in. We can't feature them all. Standard was really, really high. So if you want to get involved for next time, pop over to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support and we'll be opening the window soon for next month's one-page submissions. That's for our chart topper supporters. They also get invited to our live shows and all sorts of other fun extras as well as getting the regular weekly episodes early and special exclusive to Patreon Deep Dive episodes. There's over 60 episodes of that. Recently, we've been speaking to experts about digital first publishing, metadata, starting your own publisher, audio dictation software, Facebook ads, Amazon ads, creative writing courses, pitching your book to the movie world, mentoring and children's marketing. And we've just had a series of episodes focused on the business side of being an author that's going to be rolling out over the next few weeks. So if you're an author who wants to dig deeper into these subjects and come and support the podcast at bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support. And thanks to those who do already. We could not do the show without you. Now, we couldn't do this show without our guest editor, and I'm delighted to welcome back to the show Juliet Ewers. Juliet is associate publisher at Orion. She has worked with the likes of Ian Rankin, Maeve Binchy, Michael Connolly, and many more. And the last time she was on, we had the most incredible reaction to her feedback. So we're delighted to welcome you. Juliet, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me back. Oh, absolute. This is, this is a treat, an absolute treat. So we've got what we've got. We've got five pages today that we've picked out of, uh, of those sent in. And again, this isn't, uh, if you've sent in and yours hasn't been picked, it's no reflection on the, the quality of your writing. It's just we have so much. And I try and pick something out that will give us something to talk about. So um, let's kick off. Uh, I'll, I'll read them out and then we'll talk about them. Same routine as always. Excellent. Lovely. Thank you. So um, this one, uh, first one is called Shellytown RPG by Andrew Chapman. Cacophony stood in the sky and looked down at Shellytown. 
Chapter 1. The sun hammered through the sky. It was a belter, the hottest August on record. Slugs lay dead and shriveled on the pavements. Billy Rain slipped his trainers on and shrugged his backpack onto his shoulders. His mother, who never left the house, never had as far as Billy could recall, had sent him out for cigarettes and milk. Billy left the house and picked up his bike, which had been laying on its side in the driveway, a red BMX. He cycled left out of the drive and onto the pavement. The way the curb went down in front of the neighbor's driveway and then back up again created a ramp, which he had a habit of jumping off every time he left the house. If he caught it just right, he could really get some air. He rode along the west side of the green, weaving on and off the pavement, bunny-hopping off the curbs. He scared some pigeons into flight as he cycled onto the cobbled pedestrianised side of the square and stood up on the pedals to absorb the shock of the uneven ground. He lifted his left leg over the frame and coasted on one pedal to a stop outside the tobacconist. He stepped off and went into the shop with the back wheel still spinning on the fallen BMX. "'Hey, Billy!' said the old tobacconist behind the counter. "'Hey, Mr Finnegan,' said Billy. "'Can I have a pouch of amber leaf and some filters, please?' Mr Finnegan knew Billy well. He was a big man. The streaks of grey in his beard had turned yellow from tobacco smoke. The tobacconist looked like it had been there forever. Under the glass top of the counter were expensive lighters and pipes. There were a few pocket knives for sale there too and a long-barreled handgun. This fascinated Billy. There were rumours that Finnegan had a back room racked with rifles and shotguns. Billy stared at the gun. "'You're still not old enough, Billy,' said Mr Finnegan." I know. Could you just let me hold it for a second? Ha! said Finnegan, in a way that meant not a fucking chance. Okay, but one day. All right, Billy. Finnegan smiled and put the tobacco on the counter. Gonna get you anything else? That's a page from Shelley Town. Now, younger listeners might be appalled at the idea of sending your children to the shop to get cigarettes and tobacco. As a child of the 80s who rode a BMX, this happened to me all the time. So I really relate to this. Um, Juliet, what did you think? I very much like this. Um, The the thing that struck me most of all instantly was that very first sentence Mm. and how it is completely different to the rest of the the page. So you've got this, what's going on? I mean, in the title it says a horror novel, so that's a bit of a clue. If I was publishing this, I wouldn't have a horror novel written on it. I would package it in a way that could be or may not be in order to broaden it out as much as possible. But for that, I thought that was great. You've got that weird first sentence and then we're into what's very definitely a slice of Billy's life. He's obviously, the way it's written, the whole bike bit and riding the curb and and scaring the pigeons, he's done this every day of his life for a few years. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's still only a child, but this is his life. You get a real sense of history here the same thing with with mr finnegan he knows billy um and you really do feel this is this is real it's it's his life you want to know what's going on because you've got the two bits of intrigue that first sentence and then the fact that his mother never leaves the house yes so there's okay is she is she an alcoholic has she been taken over by crazy aliens what is it there's (laughs) something and he's not telling us in this first page which is great so he's seeding just nice little bits of oh i want to know i want to know what's going on the only thing that i wasn't sure about is is it is it grabby enough because it's so slice of life mm. personally as a reader I liked that because yeah. I'm thinking oh yeah I'm here I'm in this world I want to know what's going to happen to Billy I want to know exactly what's, what's going on here 
maybe more impatient readers might think, come on, come on, what's happening? We don't want all this bike stuff. I loved it. What did you think? I, I did. It, it reminds you of Stephen King, you know, and I'm having someone who's tried to reread it recently. I've got it on my phone. So I'm ever stuck on a train or a waiting room. I read a little more of it. I'll finish it in about 17 years. But I read it as a teenager. And that slice of life stuff was gold dust. You love it because it builds characters it gives you uh, and especially this ordinary world stuff and it's very relatable to me because i was that kid on the bmx bike and i would go to the shops for my mum and dad and you would bunny hop and stuff and then fall off and hurt yourself or scare the pigeons or whatever so it's you know for blokes of a certain age or even girls of a certain age you know it's it's gonna ring some bells isn't yeah, it it's, it's not a masculine read it's mm. it's an everybody read yeah, yeah, yeah. which is yeah. which is absolutely brilliant i mean there's another novel coming out soon um called the imaginary friend it might just be called imaginary friend actually which has got the same sort of sense of this is this child's life but something weird is going on and that is you know is beautiful so this this has got real promise congratulations andrew thank you so much for sending that page in right the next one is untitled by alex wait scarp stared at the item strewn across his woolen sleeping mat they mounted to everything he owned in the world a walking stick left to him by his grandfather a small wooden horse, a gift from his mother for his fifth birthday, and the silver medallion which he'd taken from the dead woman in the forest. He stuffed the objects into a small sack, pausing as he held the horse. He could hear his mother wailing from the other room. He'd try not to think that he would never see her again. He wouldn't miss his father. The sooner he left him behind, the better. He felt sad to abandon his sister, Asta, but she was young enough to forget and her life would be better with Scarp gone. Better for us all, he thought bitterly. Scarp shivered as he removed his clothes and laid them by his pillow. He was small for thirteen, a fact his father never tired of reminding him, and his bones still held the thin muscles of youth. A cold breeze blew through the open window. The village sat at the foot of the Skarsveld Mountains, where the rocky hills met the ocean. At this time of year, the temperature was below freezing, even when the sun was at its highest. When it dropped, and the pale, white face of Marnie joined the stars, piss would freeze before it hit the ground. He tied the top of the sack with rope, then swung it over his shoulder, surprised at how light the container was that contained his entire life. He took a last look around the room that had been his prison for the last three days, before limping into the long hall, naked and cold, the walking stick making small holes in the dirt floor. That's Untitled by Alex Waite. Julie? Well, first of all, I'm going to be picky and a little bit mean, for which I apologise in advance. Um, This is an example to me of really read back your work, because... It feels to me, and I kept getting hung up on it, which then prevented me from just enjoying it, and there are good things in this. It's like the first... When he's got these items strewn across his mat and he's putting them in a sack, it sounds like there's going to be lots of items. So it's, it felt to me as if he'd altered it and then hadn't changed stuff later. Right. Because to start with, he seems to have only got three items, which he's putting in the sack, one of which is a walking stick, which to start with, you think that's not going to fit in a sack anyway. And it's not until the end that you think, oh, no, he hasn't put the walking yeah, stick. Yeah, in. So in fact, he's only got two items in this sack. So he's t- later he ties the top of the sack with rope. Rope? How big is this sack if it's got rope and it's got two small things in it? So 
it doesn't matter. It can, it's all fixable. Yeah, but yeah, when you're yeah. reading it thinking, what? what? What's going on with this sack with these two tiny things in it? Then it just throws you off and you're already slightly irritated rather than just enjoying it. That said, on the plus side, again, we've got things that are interesting. Yeah. Um, I yeah. want to know about the dead woman in the forest. Yes, that's, a, that's a great thing just to throw in there. Whoa, dead woman, yeah. Yeah, and it's just like, what? So that was brilliant. And again, it's in the first paragraph, so mm. that's a really good place to, to put it. Yeah. Um, similarly, why why has the room been his prison? And why has he got to leave naked yes. now? So there's lots of good stuff there. Yeah. I think you just need to read back your work. If you have altered it, make sure that it hasn't had a knock-on effect. You know, if there were 20 objects and there's now only three, Go back and change it. Make sure yeah. that you reread it. Think, does this still make sense? Yes. Um, but there is a lot here that I did like. That always catches me out, actually. If you make one change. Well, the thing that um, when I was doing The End of Magic, I very carefully and meticulously planned out who was where and when, what time of day it was, when there. And then I made one change, moved a chapter, and suddenly this lot are having breakfast, this lot are going to sleep, and it's, oh, no. You know, and, and, and it does feel like that, you know, there's been a change made. And it is, um, and the thing is, you're the last person to see it as well, yeah, as the author. To, you're yeah, too close yeah. to it. I mean, that, to be honest, that's what copy editors are for. Mm. Um, and a structural editor will make big changes, big sweeping changes, and a copy editor is going to go through and say, this doesn't make sense, your timeline's wrong, or all those things you've just mentioned. So it, in the grand scale of things, it doesn't matter. But when you're first trying to get an agent or a publisher interested in your work, don't put any blocks to them reading on. Mm. And um, any other thoughts on this? I'm, I'm, you get a good feeling of atmosphere, a sense of place. This is Nordic, I think. We're yes. looking at something that's, you know, there's, uh, it's cold, there are mountains, there's, you know, rocky hills and everything. It's a good sense of place. Isn't it? Good sense of place. I like the name, Scarp and his sister, Asta. I think that that's lovely. We do want to know what's going on. His father, he's not going to miss his father. Mm -hmm. And I think there's another one later on, but a leaving opening page is mm -hmm. always intriguing. Why? Why is somebody leaving? What are they running from or going to? Um, it's an oft-used uh, opening to a book, but that's because it's good. It's yeah. a good start. Yeah, and it's better than the old cliche of waking up and brushing your teeth. Yes, that's <laughs> quite boring. <laughs> Unlike Untitled by Alex Waite, which we enjoyed. Thank you, Alex, for sending that in. Hope that was helpful. Okay, we've now got The Tale of Seaview Manor by Dylan Blake, which is a YA book. And uh, in the email, Dylan said, this is Irish. I'm not going to do... Shall I do that? No, I won't. No. I won't. Shall I? No. Okay. I've been told no. <laughs> she went as a child with her lonesome mother to the manor on the hill. Her father had died just a few weeks before. They'd been a happy family with hard bread on the table, butter in the tub, and warm milk in their bowls. Maeve's mum said that her dad died during a farming accident. New machinery had squashed him or suffocated him or stabbed him. The story changed with the wind. She asked around for other answers and got them. Her favourite was from a scaly woman down the street. She said her dad was shot by the Queen's invasive forces, but not before he'd taken out half a dozen of the enemy. Her mum told her that woman was a filthy, lying tramp. The idea of a father, a hero gunman, was appealing. A few other heroic stories came along too. However, one story persisted the longest. Her dad had made a thick pocket's worth at the Christmas market and taken to the nearest pub. He was found frozen in the cow's drinking basin. A skeleton man laughed at that. Frozen through? 
and frozen trough. English is a funny language. Maeve cursed him in the mother tongue, even though that was forbidden, but it tasted real, using the old words. She was the youngest of three girls and two boys. The boys died well before their father. One fought for the rebels and the other for the state. Chances were they'd killed each other. Her sisters were women and long gone, probably married, but her mother rarely spoke of them. Why can't we stay here, Mum? I have all my friends in this town, she pleaded. Her mum held her cheeks with warm hands and kissed Maeve on the forehead. That's just why, my love. Soon, one of those friends will become more than a friend. Then you'll never have a chance. More than a friend? Do you mean a cousin or something? Off now and pack your things, darling. Use the potato sack. We won't need it any more. That's the tale of Seaview Manor by Dylan Blake. I, I think this author is also a poet. Um, there's something really musical about yes, this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as you were reading it and as I first read it, there's a beautiful rhythm. I mean, phrases like new machinery had squashed him or suffocated him or stabbed him. You're just going yeah. da-dum, da-dum, which is beautiful. Also, some of the phrases and descriptions that's been used here, a scaly woman, a skeleton man. Yeah. It, it, it has a, a poetry about yeah. it, which is, is really quite beautiful. Um, but we also have story. We also have intrigue, which I keep saying we need and we do. Um, why are they leaving? What did really happen to the dad? The, the boys have just gone, and one's fighting on one side, and one's on the other side. So again, you're thinking, "Oh, that's a history coming yeah. out." We yeah. all know, we all know about that. And the fact that her mother rarely spoke of the daughters. Again, you want to know why? Mm. What's what have they done wrong? Have they married the wrong people? Mm. So there's there's a lot going on here. But I think I don't think it's almost like there's slightly too many questions yes. and, and no answers given. But for me, what saved it is the poetry and the rhythm and the musicality of the writing. So I'm happily coming along with this and, and wanting to read more. What did you think? I really like, it was like walking into someone's living room in the middle of a family argument in, in a way, because <laughs> there are all these names flying about and relatives flying about and incidents flying about. And you're like, and there is a thing when you're a reader, and, and you need to be conscious of this when you're a writer as well, you're reading it thinking, what's important? What's the important thing I need to latch on to for later? Is this important? or Is the scaly woman important? Is the filthy lying trap important? What's the important thing? What's What do I need to pay attention? So if you throw too much there, yes. there is a danger you'll disengage the reader. But like you say, the, the language is so beautiful and it, it, and it has this lovely rhythm to it. And of course, it, because it is Irish as well, I've got Irish family that I, it feels like an Irish family. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't talk to her sisters, does she? No, it's probably over, you know, some China set or something. But yeah, so, uh, it, it, that felt very, very real to me. And, um, yeah, it's, and, and the tragedy of the dad frozen through and frozen trough. Fun English is a funny language, you know, and then, you know, uh, using old words as well. There's a sense of history there. You can see that moment. You can visualize that moment without having half a page dedicated to it as well. And that, like, like you say, is a kind of poetry, isn't it? I think so. I think it's been done really beautifully. I think you're absolutely right when there's slightly too much so you don't know what's important. Mm. But that, again, can be so easily fixed in an, in an edit. So, yes, this is, this is good. Mm. Yeah, good stuff. Thank you so much, Dylan, for that. Okay, two more to go now. We're rocking through these. Um, this is uh, the next one is Honor Blade by Kay Vincent. This comes with a warning. Um, the warning is this excerpt is not suitable for vegetarians. So, uh, veggie folk, you might want to um, go away for a couple of minutes and come back. So, <laughs> well, let's see. 
Savan emptied the pail of scraps and peelings into the trough. Bye-bye, piggies, she called, as three snuffling mounds lumbered out of the pre-dawn darkness towards the food. Hope you turn out nice and tasty. She strode through the paddock, swinging the empty bucket, and with her free hand gave the Myrex a fond pat on the rump in passing. Then, as an afterthought, turned back. She hugged the animal round its neck, murmuring into its oversized ear, I'll miss you. Look after Ma for me. In the chicken enclosure, she strewed grain around in a semicircle. Farewell, chickens, she said, leaving the wooden gate open for the hens to file out into the yard and start their daytime foraging. Not you, though, you spiteful pecking bastard. She admonished the largest hen. It eyed her for a moment as it strutted past, then resumed its haughty progress. Savan lined her bucket with a cloth bag, then started placing freshly laid eggs inside it as she worked her way down the row of nesting boxes, checking each one. When she opened the fifth box, though, a rat shot out of the straw and leapt out onto the dirt below, heading towards the fence. Without even thinking, she snatched her knife from its sheath and hurled it at the rat that was now trying to scrabble underneath the fence. At that moment, the sun came up. Savan shielded her eyes with her arm just in time. Ugh, too bright. She moaned into the crook of her elbow. When she felt well enough to brave the morning light again, the two chickens still left on her side of the fence were squabbling over the long, worm-like tail of the rat. The animal itself had escaped. She swore and retrieved her weapon from the mud, wiping the blade, then found a sharp pebble to make a mark on the wooden grip. Does that count as a half or a quarter, she mused, that made a small mark. The tally now read 85 and three quarters. The sunlight caught the blade and flashed in her eyes. Ah, stop doing that! The two hens had finished their snack and were peering at the young woman. It's not a hangover, she protested. It's a headache in my eyes and maybe a bit in my stomach. The chickens didn't respond. Savan shooed them away and stopped at the water pump to wash the remaining dirt from her hands and knife. She walked across the cobbled yard towards the back door of the farmhouse, but slowed as she reached it. The hardest goodbye was yet to come. That's Honor Blade by Kay Vincent. This is a tricky one for me. It's another leaving, opening, leaving, beginning. It's quite wordy. She's telling us absolutely everything that she's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes we, we don't need it. I mean, with the description of the rat, a rat shot out of the straw and leapt out onto the dirt below. That's a lot of words for mm-hmm. a very small scene. And similarly, when she says about the two chickens still left on her side of the fence, it, it, it really needs tightening up. Also, I think, I mean, there's the famous in uh, Elmore Lenn's Ten Rules of Writing, don't uh, use other verbs instead of said all over the place. And here we've got, she called, she admonished, she moaned, she mused, um, she protested. It's all t- that's all in one page. That's too much. Also, don't go, uh, too bright. It, you say it, but when you see it written down, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Similarly, ah, oh, stopped doing that. It, it's, you need to find another way, I, I think, because it just 
looks slightly weird, and so then you stumble across it. Well, speaking as someone who reads a lot of comic books and reads books that read like comic books, uh, I think if the genre demands it, then that's fine. I think okay. you know. Yeah, I yeah. will stand corrected on that one. Um, <laughs> um, for me, it was not quite working. Yeah, but I think the main thing is that there could be a lot of intrigue here and a lot of good things because she's leaving. She's leaving her home. Clearly, she's leaving her mother, who she does care about because she's going to, you know, she says, "Look after Mar for me." Um, to the pig, and when she slows down at the end the hardest goodbye was yet to come mm. so she's leaving un- not entirely willingly it's not all with a happy heart so that's good because mm. I want to know why she's leaving I just think this actual extract could have been half the length and then we could have had either a bit more before or a bit after it sort of opening things out a little bit giving us a little bit more hint of of where she is or why she's leaving or what she's going to or running from at the moment, it's very, very linear, and you are getting every step of what she's doing. Yeah, it's um, and I'm guilty of this as well. It's it's that thing of wanting to take the image that's in your head and put that exact image into the head of the reader. And I think you have to resist that. I think you have to paint it like an impressionist painting and let the reader fill the gaps in for you. Because I, I was reading um, something the other day from a client who, and it, it was it was kind of she scrunched her nose and narrowed her eyes and bit her lip and twitched and then did and it's like you it's not a set of instructions you know it's not you it's it's the difference between allowing an actor to interpret the role and or giving an actor a line reading where you say i want you to say exactly like this and i think if you do that to a reader of a book if you say i want this to be exactly as i see it in my head I think that disengages the reader because part of the that agreement with the reader, it's an unspoken agreement, but it's I'm going to tell you a story, but you're going to put the pieces together in, in your head. And I think if once you figure that out, you'll have a lot more fun with the writing and and the reader becomes a lot more engaged. Does that feel right? Absolutely. That's absolutely spot on. I think you're you're completely right with that. It's cutting it down. It's that the example you gave about the squinting of the eyes and the wrinkling of the nose, you one of them. Think of what is yeah. the strongest image to say what you're trying to say and cut all the others out. Yeah. Um, you, you know, you don't need them. Um, and I think you're right. I wonder if this author is trying too hard to paint yeah. the picture and you don't need it. Because as you say, the reader wants to be led in and then left to sort of forage a bit, to yeah. use words from this, <laughs> to, to sort of un- interpret the story themselves and to paint the picture themselves. And everything is done. There's nothing left for me here to, yeah. to work out. Yes, yeah, it's the same with character descriptions as well. If you say, you know, he walked through the door, he was wearing trainers, blue jeans with a Wrangler jeans belt and a plaid shirt, and he had an earring, and he had curly hair, and he had a scar on his left cheek. And again, it's that thing of the readers thinking, what's the important detail? Yes. What's what do I need to remember for later? Yes. Because you're giving me this long shopping list, and whereas you could just say, oh, he swaggered in like a cowboy. And you kind of think, oh, I know what that's, that character looks like, you know. So it's that thing of less is more, which we've said time and time again on this, on, on the, the one page punch ups. But yeah, I think it's, it's just, you know, having the confidence to allow the reader to, you know, take the reins, I think. Yes. And um, that comes with practice, I think. It just comes with practice. Because there is a danger otherwise that you're treating your reader as if they're slightly stupid. And if you don't tell them absolutely everything, then they won't understand. Yeah. And again, that's that's off-putting. I mean, the description you just mentioned there, you're bored halfway through before you've got to his earring. Yeah. Um, so you don't, you don't want to disengage your reader. Um, and I think whilst there's a lot of potential here, I think this author has slightly disengaged the reader just by trying too hard. Yeah. So just relax pair it back 
and it'll be much, much better. Well, it's fixable, isn't yeah. it? Oh, it's fixable. definitely, yeah. definitely fixable. Yeah. And because yeah. we've got the, somebody's leaving, they don't want to, there you go. That's a great setup. Yeah. Yeah. And she's just a fun character, you know. Uh, you know, uh, this she talks to her chickens, so she's a good person. Um, <laughs> you must talk to your chickens, and I, we don't have pigs, but we have chickens. We talk to them. And if I had a knife to throw at rats, then I would. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to know any more about that. <laughs> you want to live in a country, um, but yeah, it's uh, it is it is fascinating, and it's um, I think part of it as well is a hangover from when we study stuff at school. We study. Dickens or Hardy, and, and th- they do have those long descriptions which were needed at the time because if you were setting a scene in a poorhouse and you'd never been to a poorhouse, Dickens lays it all out for you, whereas now you've either seen it in the films or the telly or, or, or online, you know. So it's... Um, also, we are much more time poor these days, mm-hmm. so people want something a little bit instant. Yeah. It's not entirely a good thing that people want instant gratification, yeah. but it, it, it is a fact of life. Yeah. Um, Dickens, I'm sure his readers had so little to do that, <laughs> that reading great long books was absolutely great. Yeah. Between dying of TB. Yes. Um, <laughs> you mentioned there Elmore Leonard's 10 Rules of Writing... Um, Listeners are going to put a link in the show notes. This, if you're not aware of these, they are hilarious. Um, they are absolutely essential. Uh, I mean, Elmore Leonard, talk about a concise writer. He was the master of it, wasn't he? He's absolute genius. And like you say, the rules are funny, but they are also true. I mean, as with all rules, you can ignore them sometimes. You don't always have to say, she said. It's just, it's, he makes a point very obviously um, to be sparing with it. Um, but yeah, do put a link in the show because it's absolutely great. Fantastic. One I always remember, never open with the weather. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Right, on to our final page, which is an extended family business, which is a working title, and this is by Jan Carr. This isn't my dress. It sticks to my skin. I pull it away, but the red shiny material crackles with electricity and clings to my legs. The straps slip off my shoulders and there isn't enough of me to fill the front. Outside, the sun shines bright on the pavement. Through the grill, the air ripples in the heat and the feet of people that don't know I'm here rush past. I watch tiny specks dance in the light. I want to shout, but I can't without my sister. I'm only half a person without her. Wheels on the road, spinning clouds of dust and screech away. I wait down here where the air is thick. I sit on the bed and let my feet swing over the dirty boards. The springs bounce and creak. I wish that Lenka was with me or that I was with the other girls, but today I'm on my own, in someone else's dress. Far away, a radio plays. Men laugh and the bangs and bumps in the other room shake the house. There's a pain in my belly. It was yesterday when I ate something. He said I could have food after. I want to lie down, but it's not my blanket. It won't smell right. Boots stomp outside. I sit up straight and grip the cold metal frame of the bed. Breath is hard to find. Keys rattle on the other side of the door. My heart, a bird in a cage, tries to escape. I slide off the bed. The dirty cover trails across the floor behind me. I hide in the corner. I taste sick in my mouth and push myself further into the dark where the walls are cold on my shoulders and I stare into a black, black hole. Girl's shoes tap along the corridor. No, no, she's too young. She's not ready. Lenka. I run to the locked door. I twist the handle, but it slips 
in my sweaty hand. And that's an extended family business by Jan Carr. This, oh, oh I like this. Yeah. This <laughs> gives me a knot in my stomach because I'm worried for yeah. this girl. She's, in, in a contrast to some of the other things we've been talking about and reading, she tells you a huge amount mm. without really telling you anything. Yeah. The opening, this isn't my dress, that is fantastic. Mm. We know she's young because she said when the straps slip off the shoulder, there isn't enough of me to fill the front. So she hasn't said... She's 13 or whatever it is, but yeah. you know she's young with yeah. just like that. The relationship with her sister, I'm only half a person without her. I mean, it makes you well. Yeah. You just think this is this is sad. This is heartbreakingly sad. I wish that Lenka was with me or that I was with the other girls. You just think, oh, there's other girls there. There's, she's in this house where all these awful things are happening. She's on her own. All that's happening really is she's sitting in a room thinking and listening to noises going on outside. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. But you've got a whole world here. Mm. It's very punchy. It's very tight. Good painting of a picture. She unfolds the information in exactly the right way. Little bits coming all the time to paint yeah. this. You know, it broadens out this this huge picture. Zeitgeisty theme. Um, hate to say it, but yeah. it's a it's a good theme. I only have one nitpicky criticism, <laughs> and that was the line: "My heart, a bird in a cage, tries to escape." Cliche, it? it also it's like she wrote that she loved it and she needs to kill her darlings so she needs to get rid of that line because it it jars it's not as good as the rest of it mm. it doesn't fit with the rest no. of it and everything else about this i'm there i'm like i said I'm, i've got a stomach ache because i'm worried and if you can get a reaction from a reader like that then that is excellent and it's so hard to do yeah. i loved it i little notes like the, the wheels on the road spin she can hear the road outside she can hear people outside yes. escape is just over there just through a wall or up, you know out, out a door or whatever and it's it's horrible and i could be walking down the street and going straight past her and that's engaging. Yes. You're thinking, this is the real world, this is happening, this could be happening round the corner. Absolutely. It's so real and so honest and so deeply unsettling. I mean, when she's hungry, he said, I could have food after. Oh, she doesn't need to, It's awful. It's but but you, you don't need any more than that. No. And, and it's, I think this, it's an absolute perfect example of less being more because yeah. there's, there's so little here and yet so much. Yeah. Just, just those words, I, I could have food after. Yeah. There's a whole scene there. Someone else might have written that beat for beat where a guy comes in and something horrible happens and then he says, you can have food after. It's just, yeah, it paints a picture. It tells you so much. It does. And it's a bit like really good horror films or horror TV programmes where they're not actually showing you the monster. Mm -hmm. And so your imagining of it is so much worse. So much and with this, yeah. because she's just a girl in a room on her own, everything, you're filling in all the gaps. And it's just the most horrific scene from that point of view. Yeah. I mean, it's really dark. It's really engaging. I, I want to rescue her. Yeah. And I think that if you can get that reaction, I mean, like you say, you could be walking past her in the street. This yeah. could be happening outside the building we're in right now. Yeah. Um, and we would never know. Yeah. So it's great. Yeah. Thought-provoking stuff. Thank you so much for that, Jan. That's an extended family business, Jan Carr. Thank you to everyone who sent in their one pages today. Uh, I think we learned a lot from that, didn't we? We did. And it's so encouraging to see such great writing coming through this. I think it's a, it's a brilliant podcast because of, it, of what it encourages people to do. And it's lovely to see all these people sending in all this material, so much of it is real promise. No, it's great stuff. You guys are the best. Thank you so much. Look, if you want to get involved for next time, as 
I said, pop over to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support. This is for our chart topper supporters. So you get to live shows, you got the deep dives, everything. So support the podcast, keep us going, and you can submit for the uh, one page uh, punch ups for next time. We'll be announcing that very soon. In the meantime, we have a live show coming soon too as well. That's uh, still time to register over on Patreon for that too. Um, Drop us a line. Get in touch. We're uh, on Facebook, Bestseller Experiment, Twitter and Instagram at Bestseller XP. And uh, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. This is the first time you're listening. Uh, there's a whole backlist for you to jump into. Thanks to uh, Dave and JD, our editors, who will be taking out all my little stumbles and making me sound good. Uh, thanks for that, folks. And until next time, happy writing. Happy writing.